1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Contract Revolution. My guest on the show today is best-selling business author Mike Michalowicz. Now, this guy has written some classics, books that any growth-minded contractor will know and will love, books like Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, Fix This Next, and Get Different, just to name a few. Mike's books are beloved for one simple reason— they work. His writing is incredibly clear and easy to understand. And the solutions he prescribes are functional and easy to implement. And that is why he is actually keynoting at Breakthrough Academy's 2024 Winter Summit in Bend, Oregon. Now, if you're a Breakthrough Academy member and you're listening to this, and you've also not yet registered for Winter Summit, stop what you're doing and sign up for the Winter Summit immediately. I personally guarantee, I personally guarantee it you will not regret this decision. There's a link for that in the description. Now, in today's conversation, we zoom in and hash out one of the most fundamental ideas in his book, Fix This Next, and that is the business priority pyramid. Mike believes that the biggest problem facing most entrepreneurs is that they don't actually know what their biggest problem is and I would tend to agree. Think about it. How much time have you invested solving the wrong problems? How many hours, how many dollars have you wasted on stuff that seemed important, but really wasn't in the grand scheme of things? Prioritization is arguably the most vital of entrepreneurial skills, and the business priority pyramid is the most no-nonsense framework I've found to help us get better at it. So before we dive in, one more thing. Link in the description for the Winter Summit for you Breakthrough Academy members. As well, there's a link to Mike's website where you can look at and order his books. I can't recommend his stuff enough. Do yourself a favor and order one. You're watching Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school and welcome
0: to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting.
1: Mike, welcome to the show, man. It's good
0: to see you. It's a pleasure to see you and look forward to seeing you again in Oregon. So
1: I want to start here. You are you have a... a a line, a mantra, an idea that kind of is very, very clear in this book, fix this next. You bring it up in videos. I believe there's a, uh, there's, there's a few headings in the book that kind of remind us yeah. of this. And you, and you say the biggest problem most business owners have is that they don't know what their biggest problem is. And so my yeah. question to you is how can that be? Because if you've asked any business owner, you know, to tell me your biggest problem, they'll go, Oh, let me tell you. Um, So just unpack that idea, where, where that first became really clear to you and, and what's going on there. Yeah. So,
0: you know, entrepreneurs, myself included, confuse imminent problems with biggest problems. So imminent is what they say. Biggest is what they have. So let let me distinguish those. An imminent problem is this one feeling now. There's a local deli down the street. And every time I go there, I'm like, Hey, how's business? And Literally in the same week, it can be amazing to crap <laughs> right. to okay. Now, the biggest problem still exists in the business, but the imminent problems changed. They didn't have customers that day, so cash flows down. Uh, maybe they got a big catering deal, cash flows up. So they're reacting to what's immediately in front of them. The, the biggest problem is what the business actually needs. Mm. And uh, how I look at it is if we consider a business. Any business like a manufacturer, I think we all are. We have raw input, whatever it may be, and there's a final output. That's what manufacturing is. We do the same, even if you're in service. It goes through a series of events. Well, it's somewhere in those series of events that we have our biggest problem. Maybe customers aren't converting consistently. Maybe sometimes they do it, but not consistently. Or or maybe it's it's a cash flow issue. Or it's consistency in our service quality. That's what we need to identify. But because we're so in the weeds as business owners, we to say what's imminently the problem. We conclude that, that is our biggest problem and we start hitting that real hard for the next hour or two and then the next imminent problem presents itself and we start jumping around left and right.
1: Is there anything else you would say about why it's so difficult to isolate those high impact items? Like you, you would think that this ought to be easier than it is. What's, what's going on in the business environment, in the psychology of the business owner? It, why why is it seemingly so challenging to hone in on truly the right stuff for an entrepreneur to be
0: working on? Well, for the owner themselves, it's kind of like trying to read a jar label from inside the jar. You, you can't even see it. Um, We may not be touching every part of our business equally, so we start giving deference to what we're most involved in. Um, So we have an inherent bias. That's one problem. That's why actually outside consultants and stuff can be really good because they're coming in emotionless. They can see Mm -hmm. everything at an equal value, but we have this rooted emotion in it. Um, we, we often tie into historical things. Because we've done something in the past, we assume that this must continue in the future. It's called the, the sunk cost fallacy. Mm. So that's another struggle. The, the other thing is when we're not actively doing something, we can't see the difficulty in it. So like uh, if we have a sales problem, but I don't sell, I have salespeople, I'll be like, sell harder. Just sell harder. That's the fix. Right. And that's not really the reality because I'm not intimate with all the elements. So there's many reasons we're blind to it. I think, though, for many entrepreneurs, I see we revert to the things that we think we can impact through our own effort, either through enthusiasm or through working through something, and so we tackle that thing. There, there's a joy or satisfaction from moving something forward, but imagine this. Imagine there was an hourglass, and that, that represents the flow of work. There's sand up top, there's sand up bottom, there's a pinch in the middle. I can keep on hammering away at the top and make it bigger. I could pack more sand in. Ain't nothing's going to change mm-hmm. until we widen that one gap so that's what i try to help entrepreneurs do is find out where is that tiny pinch point open that gap so we can get more flow and all those other things while we're busy we're seeing that yeah, we are packing in more sand we're opening the top even more while we see results, it's not affecting the flow of the business.
1: So that that kind of ties into this idea of vital need. Is that when you say the yeah. pinch point in in the hourglass, that's that's sort of the vital need of the business. There's lots of needs, but there's a very short list of vital needs at any given time.
0: Correct. So so essentially, there's 25. So I went through uh, I think it's about a thousand different businesses, all different industries, to look what's the common DNA, if you will and I found what I call 25 core needs. But at any given time, to your point, one is the vital need. It's the, the pinch point. Yeah. It's it's translated from Eli Goldratt's work. Eli wrote a book called The Goal. It's an amazing book. And it talks about these manufacturing principles. And the analogy I can use, which I don't think he used, but is similar. If there was a chain between you and I, Benji, and our job is to make this chain stronger, and we're both pulling on it, and we say, you know what, let's start fixing every link the chain will actually continue to snap just as easily as it has in the past until by happenstance, we find the weakest link. Yeah. But conversely, if we first identify, here's the weakest link in this entire chain and we strengthen just one link, the entire chain strengthens now to right. the next weakest link. Right. We fix that and the chain will continue to get stronger and stronger. So let's, yeah.
1: well, I was, you've kind of, you've mentioned the 25 needs. I I want to just like segue right into this, um, this idea of the business hierarchy of needs. And this is really the central point of the book. I, I really, really enjoy. I thought you did an amazing job, by the way. I really, I read a lot of business books. This is one of the best ones I've read in the last year. It's so clear. It's so concise, highly visual. So just break down the business hierarchy of needs. Uh, how is it in, how is it inspired by Maslow's hierarchy of needs? How yeah. are they the same? How are they different? Just take us through this framework for the audience who maybe hasn't read the book
0: yet. Yeah, so I'm actually re-labeling it from the BHN, the business hierarchy of needs, to the business priority pyramid. What I found is... When people hear hierarchy they think a ladder like i gotta climb up but it's really identifying finally what the priority is and this relabeling as i've been sharing with people is being received very well oh at any given time there can only be one priority and it does translate into maslow's hierarchy of needs so maslow says there's there's five levels of needs we have and there's a foundational need and only once it's adequately satisfied can we go to the next level need so foundationally it's physiological needs you and i need to breathe air and drink water eat food if, if we're suffocating, not breathing air, interview's over, we go back to the base level need. Then there's relational needs, esteem, ultimately self-actualization. Well, in the business priority pyramid, every business needs sales, which is a flow of cash. It, it's the generation of oxygen, if you will. But just like Maslow's hierarchy, the more oxygen we have, it doesn't necessarily translate to the better we are. You need an adequate level, but you can have excessive. Right. And in the business Priority pyramid, it's the exact same thing, is you can have adequate sales and you need that, but you can also have excessive sales and put you in a precarious, maybe dizzy position. And some businesses think, oh, you know, I'm having trouble. I need to keep selling. I'm having trouble. I need to sell more. For some reason, I'm having more trouble. I need to sell more. The problem is sales translates to stress on an organization. So the more you sell, the more obligation you have. If you're not prepared for that obligation, it actually burdens the company more and puts it in a more precarious position. Right. So in the BPP, if you will, the business priority sure. pyramid, starts off with sales, then there's profit, then there's order, which is bringing about efficiency, then there's uh, impact. Instead of uh, having transactions, we're going to be bringing transformation to our clients. And then the final level is um, is legacy. Now, what's key to this is we're addressing all those components at all times. The question is, what is the current priority? And we use this pyramid to identify what to focus in on next, not just some random thing, the core need the business has right now, the vital need. And how do you
1: encourage, like on a very practical level, how do you encourage entrepreneurs kind of use this hierarchy or use this, this? sorry, we're not using hierarchy, this priority yeah. pyramid, this lens, because that's really what it is. It's a lens, lens to look at your priorities through, look at all the, okay, there's a million fire. maybe that's a lot, there's 10 fires burning in my yeah. business. I definitely don't have enough buckets and hoses to put all of them out. And right. any entrepreneur listening is gonna know, and they're probably feeling this today, this week. There's like, I there's like, I gotta leave a fire burning here because this one is, you know, gonna go into the building and that's that's a bigger problem. So on a practical level, how do you encourage entrepreneurs use this lens to think through their their priorities and then move to the fixes faster?
0: Yeah, we're we're kinda we're gonna look for that weakest link. It's um it's a prioritization based upon a cascading effect. We had a hurricane, I'm in New Jersey, we had a hurricane come through, Uh, this is a decade ago, that was extraordinarily damaging. But What was interesting to me was the restoration of power. And uh, where my wife and I live is kind of a remote part of New Jersey, but the main areas got restored first. And the reason is, is once you get power to the main areas, you can start splintering out. So they focus on these main dense populations. Well, that's, Kind of the same situation. We've got 10 fires going on in our business. The question is, which one is the most dense population will have the most positive effect and perhaps could cascade other things. Right. How we use the business priority pyramid is we start off by asking ourselves, do we have a sales issue? Now, how to know if we have a sales issue? We simply say is, do we have any? If you have if the answer is I don't have any sales, (laughs) you have a a sales issue. (laughs) (laughs) If you have some sales, the question then is, do I have any and you look at the next level? So if I do some sales, do I have any profit? If the answer is no to profit, it actually may be a profit problem. So then we look at the link and say, I have some sales, I have no profit. Why do I have no profit with some sales? And we have to ask those hardcore questions. Is it really that sales aren't adequate? Or is our infrastructure too heavy for the sales that we do have? And then we find the fix is either in sales or profit. And we keep asking us, do we have any? And is it adequate up the chain? Right. And uh, inevitably, we're going to stop at one spot. For most small businesses that I coach, I would say 90% of them are either at the sales profit or order level. About 10% typically have issues at the other levels.
1: Right. You you
0: make a distinction
1: when you're walking through um the pyramid in the book between get and give stages, and I thought that was yeah. interesting. What? Why do you make that distinction? And so, just just for the just for the audience, the get stages are this sales, profit, order level, yeah. and then the give stages are impact and legacy. So, why why did you kind
0: of draw that line in the sand between between the the levels? It's, maybe it sounds altruistic. Um, when I hear it, people are saying I got to give to get. Like you have to care for others to get for yourself, and it makes sense altruistically, but for the sustainability of the business, it makes it makes no sense. In order to be a contributor, in order to have an impact, you have to have stability. That's the get phase. So what I wanted to do was disarm some entrepreneurs who think that if they're trying to be profitable, as an example, that they're actually being greedy. No, the only way to be a contributor societally to your employees, to have stability for your organization, is to get profit or is to get more efficient. Another thing that many business owners are afraid to do is to walk away from their business. They feel that they have to be the first one there and the last one to leave, that they have to demonstrate uh, their expectations by mm-hmm. working harder or longer than anyone else. No, 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 no. You, you need to get a business that can operate in your absence in order for you to build more businesses like this. You're you're building uh, an environment where people can be gainfully employed in, in, in hopefully something that they love to do. If you're doing the work, you're actually stealing jobs. So what I'm trying to do with this get to give is just reframe it, that it isn't selfish, it's necessary.
1: Mm -hmm. And and entrepreneurs do get to a point where, you know, let's say they've- Mastered is a strong word. They've become extremely proficient at the sales level. They've become extremely proficient at the profit level through really sound financial controls, through really good decision-making, through healthy margins, through waste reduction. They kind of got that profit level. Then they go through the order level. So they're, they're thinking through the structure of the business, defining roles. They're thinking through all sorts of SOPs and kind of back-end systems that allow them to get that profit reliably and then there, and then there's this this bridge and we see it in our breakthrough academy members as soon as people start to really find success in their business they often I don't know. I, I I'd actually want your take on this. It's kind of a philosophical question. Philanthropy philanthropy does seem to be baked into ninety percent of entrepreneurs. There's a ten yeah. percent who are just kind of always in it for them and always will be. Yeah, and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like whatever. Yeah. But
0: which is I, fine, which is which fine.
1: Which is fine. But I'm I'm all I'm blown away and humbled and it's I find it a very kind of um, wholesome moment when you see an entrepreneur who's starting to make some good money and go, you know what? I want to do something for my community. I want to do something for yeah. my kids. I want. What's going on there? Why do you think entrepreneurs like are always uh, get to the giving mood at a certain stage?
0: Well, at a certain point, I, I think entrepreneurs find there isn't fulfillment anymore for them once the gets have gotten, been gotten, right. you know, there's a, there's a certain point where more isn't more anymore. And, uh, I then think there's a way then to channel that, that additional acquisition of wealth in this case or whatever it may be can then have a long-term effect mm-hmm. and and you can get more joy out of that contribution. The, the funny thing I've seen, Benji, in businesses is many owners saying, I, you know, I'm setting it out here to change my community or to be of service to this organization. They they go in with this giving kind of contribution mindset, but then they skip the early stages or the lower stages of the pyramid the the necessities to to uh, be able to contribute I actually know I was hired by by Office Depot dec- a decade ago or so to work with 600 not-for-profits of theirs and give them direction and what was shocking to me was how many not-for-profits are not profitable or sustainable <laughs> meaning that that they're like we just have to give and they don't have any infrastructure they're not sustainable they they can't maintain, and they, they burn out instantly, instantly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it also is kind of funny how many for-profits are not profitable, mm-hmm. that they're not sustainable, that they don't focus on that. So we need to satiate the business before we can give great contribution. But I do find, at least from my own experience and people I've met, that the greatest joy often comes from that, that level of contribution. It's
1: not unlike sort of what you hear in the counseling therapy self-help world, which is that like in order for you to give someone a hand up, in life, yeah. You yourself need to be an intact person. You're well-rested, you're well-fed, you have your nutritional needs met, you've done some exercise, you're balanced, you have some semblance of control over your life. Oh, And by the way, that's all self-care, which you could make the case is totally narcissistic because you're looking after me and I'm gonna make sure this stuff is right. But you do need to do that before you can help the person who needs the help. And a business entity functions the exact same way. It does need sales, it does need profit, ooh, these greedy capital. Capitalist terms. It does need order and regimen. And once those things are looked after, then yeah, we can actually have a conversation about the types of good that this business organism can do for you know the people, the communities, the, the charities, the right. soccer teams, whatever that surround it. So I just think that I, I thought that was an interesting comment. Can you can you quickly cause I want to get to some quick hit questions with the time we have? Yeah. There's this idea of yeah, you, uh, Omen, and I think it's uh, objective, measure, evaluate, nurture. Evaluation. It's like a way that you, uh, it's a way that you anchor the activities that as you work through the vital Correct. need. How does it
0: fit into this, this, this pyramid? It's a variant, perhaps on a smart goal, but once you identify the vital need for an organization, you need to be clear on what the objective is and make it measurable. And, and I think 99% of business owners know that honestly, maybe 50% implement it. It's the other two elements that everyone needs to do, but no one does. Evaluation means there needs to be a scheduled calendar event where we're reevaluating was this goal necessary in the first place? Has the parameters changed? You know, what is it? And then an nurture gives ourselves the flexibility. I can't tell you, how many people set a goal like our business will do X million dollars this year and not even close. And like we failed. And like, Well, let's let's examine the environment around us and what can we do to adjust to make this a success again, mm-hmm. you know, just because we picked a random number one year ago doesn't mean it's the right number. Right, right. P-
1: picking picking numbers is not that hard. Uh, you see, you'll see people, at, you'll see people do this at conferences. Couple glasses of wine in, they're they're sitting around the table talking about what they're gonna do. It's like, okay, cool, yeah. man. Uh, okay. So that's that's how the omen thing fits into this. I have a couple I have a couple quick hit questions that I just I just want yeah. to tack on here because you have a very broad, very aggregate perspective with the uh, large corporations you've worked with, probably some smaller businesses you've coached, uh, and just the the interactions over the year you've had in this space. When you see people struggling at the profit level specifically what are the most common patterns or challenges you see in that little section of of the pyramid? Are there certain uh, systems that are missing? Is it a is it a habits thing? Like what's going on at the profit level? Give us one or two things that are just like universally
0: challenging. Yeah, universally challenging for small business. I mean, coming under five or ten million dollars, the business owner or leaders inevitably are doing bank balance accounting. They're logging to the bank account. They're seeing how much money they have. Uh, the solution, I believe, and that's why I wrote my book, Profit First. I don't believe the solution is using your accounting system or your accounting reports. They're necessary. They're not practical for most business owners. So I believe a, a bank-based accounting cash flow management system is ideal. And that, that's why I wrote Profit First. and That's what Profit First is. The other thing is, inevitably, small businesses underprice themselves consistently. The fear of losing a client is so great that they don't adjust the prices uh, effectively. So, they they never, they're running such thin margins, they can never be sustainably profitable. And the last thing is, the third thing I noticed is very few do regular profit, uh, yeah, profit analysis on their price or services. They simply say, well, we've always done this service this way. Is it even making you money? There was a study that came out of uh, Chicago that for most businesses, 25% of the work they do is actually costing them money to do that work. Well, we should just jettison that stuff.
1: Wow. That's really compelling. A quarter, yeah. a quarter of their activity is a is a is, waste, is total waste. Wow. More than a
0: waste, it's costly.
1: Wow. What is going on with the under the underpricing thing? Why why do you think that's so prevalent? And then what are what's your advice to business? I mean, I guess the simple advice is raise your prices. But there's more going on there. It's, it's a confidence thing. It's a it's a belief systems thing. Like, what? How, how do you kind of solve that issue with the the businesses
0: you work with? Well, I think. What people believe is that price is a way to woo a customer, um, and it is, but it's a way to woo a bad customer, because you woo the price shopper, and most small businesses cannot compete, nor should compete in price. We want to woo the value-based price uh, customer, the one who sees significance and value in you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, could could you imagine a heart surgeon saying, "Art, you know, I know the problem you have, and I can fix it. I charge five hundred thousand." Another surgeon says, I've never done this before, but I think I can fix it for 50 bucks." Like, we would never go to that person. But the there, there is, in any community, there are some elite customers who see the value in the price you charge. There is a large base of customers who just want the cheap offering. Yeah. So we have to make this choice. The, the thing I do to, I do two things to convince customers to increase price. First, uh, you know, clients I coach with. One is, um, do you value yourself? As, as significant and important, and if they say yes, I say, well, this represents how you value yourself, so we have an incongruency here. You don't value yourself. The second thing I say, the, the most powerful form of marketing of all time that is not called marketing, yet it is, is your price, mm-hmm. because you, you'll be d- instantly judged on your price. If I put what looks like a diamond on the table and say that's worth $5, no more conversation. It's a cubic zirconia. If I put the exact same thing down, say it's $5,000, no more conversation, it's a diamond. So price sets perception.
1: In your experience at the order level, what are two of the biggest needle movers in terms of systems or implementation items? And by needle movers, I mean, what I'm looking for is like low hanging fruit or good bang for your buck things that business owners can do. On one end of the spectrum, it's a really sophisticated LMS with 78 different yeah, videos yeah. and blah, blah, And like, that's cool. Like, don't get me wrong. That's awesome. It's also pretty complicated and expensive. Yeah. And then on the other end is like a checklist that you laminate. And put on the job right, site. Right, right, right. So, like, what's on like that cheaper, cheap and cheerful, but actually does create some order for your business? Or so the things that you see there.
0: The number one thing, hands down, is hiring a personal assistant. I, listen, I go around conferences all over and say, "Who has a personal assistant?" Maybe ten percent of the room goes up, and I say, "Everyone else, raise your hand. You're the personal assistant." Hiring a personal assistant is more about you the owner learning to delegate properly than it is for them to do the work and i'm not saying to hire full-time i'm saying like one hour a week virtual person that's fine we have to master delegation most business owners don't delegate we either abdicate or we micromanage and those are both disastrous Hmm. delegation is the assignment outcomes and allowing that person to manage things so the second tip is once you hire a personal assistant or you delegate any work Delegate the easy stuff. They always say, you know, delegate the stuff that's hard to do or the stuff you don't like to do. That actually results in abdications. Like, thank God that's off my plate. The easy stuff is stuff you're doing because it's kind of easy and you know how to do it. Delegate that. It'll learn, it'll give you the discipline of learning to get rid of stuff that you can do but really shouldn't be doing. Secondly, because it's easy, theoretically, it should be easy for you to teach and someone else to pick up.
1: Those are two things I would do. Dan, uh, you, you would know this. I think you probably know Dan Martell. He's sort of another business author in this space. He's just done this book, Buy Back Your Time. And there's a chapter completely devoted to this idea. And basically the case he makes is that e- even if you're a teeny weeny little business, like just starting out, there's almost no point in time where you're not going to get an ROI on an executive assistant or a personal assistant. He's very, very dogmatic yeah, about He's it. right. I yeah. love him. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. L- last one here is, um, okay, at the imp- Impact level, you ha- one of the sub points, you know, there's 25 core needs and there's sort of five for for each level. One of the sub points is this idea of mission motivation. I'll just I'll just read it back to you. Are all employees, including leadership, motivated more by delivering on the mission than just by their individual roles. So the idea yeah. is there's, there's an overarching narrative, there's a mission, there's a, an important objective for the business, not just doing X, Y, Z. And so my question for you is this, how can entrepreneurs in the blue collar space, which is where we live, how can they bring this idea to seemingly mundane tasks, window cleaning, mowing lawns, uh, building car, building cabinets, whatever the case may be. How do you bring
0: that down to this, the more mundane level? Yeah. So what you do is you ask your customers you're already serving. Why are you buying this and how are you benefiting? What's the joy you extract from this? No one cares about clean window, but people probably care about the view. No one clears, cares about a, a mowed lawn, but they care that their kids are out there playing in the yard or whatever it may be. So find the true purchase. Then talk to your team and say, we don't mow lawns. We give people a safe place to enjoy play again outside or get away from the phones or whatever it is. And that becomes kind of this rally cry. Now, now here's the thing. There's also what I call PIs or personal intentions. We have a corporate mission, clean, safe lawns, but we have all PIs. Maybe one of my employees wants to one day own their own home and doesn't have it yet. We have to be aware of that too. So set, set a corporate mission, but understand all of your colleagues' personal intentions. And you can't, I'm not going to buy your home for them. You're not going to do that. You may not be able to be in that position, nor should you gift that because there's no accomplishment, but you should make them constantly aware of it. As we march toward our corporate mission, we have to march toward your personal mission. And that's where now you lock arms and you start moving forward.
1: I think that's a really great point. Talk to the customers about what it's actually about and then highlight that for the lawnmower, the window cleaner, the carpenter, et cetera. I love that. Um, Okay. So we are out of time, um, but we are going to see more of you at the 2024 Winter Summit in Bend, Oregon. So if you're you're listening to this and you're a BTA member and you haven't locked in, uh, do that now. Um, Mike, where can people follow along your journey? Give us, I don't know, social media tags, websites, where, what's the
0: best place to kind of the best uh, place is my website. And I'll give you the shortcut. Cause my last name is Michalow. It's, <laughs> it's Mike motorbike as in a motorcycle nickname from grade school. So Mike My social media tags are up there too. All my other books I write about, I write for the wall street journal. You can get that too. MikeMotorbike.com. <laughs> Okay, that's a lot. I've been typing in
1: Mike McCallowitz every time. This is you know, way easier. you learn how to
0: call my name.
1: <laughs> this <laughs> is way easier. Okay, thanks, man. Have an awesome rest of your week and uh, we'll see you in a few months. Brother. Take care. I can't wait. It's gonna be fun. Thanks so much for watching this episode of Contractor Evolution. If you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it.